From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling on a Sunday morning, January 21st, 2024. Danny Flecka is with us. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. Aaron Rodgers plays his first round of golf since the Achilles injury and makes a hole-in-one. Any comment? <laughs> I only say that because it was literally the last piece of context, sorry, content I saw before you said, hey, want a pod. Um, so, anyway, um, glad to see him, though, back playing golf in the first place. That's a good sign uh, just for that injury to be able to turn off that leg. So all good things there. All right, let's first talk coaches and then we'll talk uh, games. Coaching-wise, Thank you, thank you, thank you, Las Vegas, for making the obvious choice and making Antonio Pierce your head coach. The players loved him. Everybody loved him towards the end of the season. That seemed to be the most obvious one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think it's the right move, given what that organization has dealt with from a coaching perspective the last five, six years, uh, obviously after the Gruden Situation. They they elevated Versace to the role. He really steered that ship a little bit and was able to get them to the playoffs. And then they moved on from him and went into uh, McDaniel's era with the Patriots staff. Really, at the end, uh, with with uh, Ziegler as their GM, didn't work out. And then obviously the elevation of Pierce. Uh, Deserving. Uh, I think that if you're in the Las Vegas, you got to stop paying these coaches. Um, you need some stability. You need some consistency. Now, we'll, we'll see if it works out for Pierce. Sometimes these interim coaches, it's really fool's gold at times uh, when it comes to what it is that a team is able to do. It could be that they just re- were able to... Um, react to a different voice and wanted a different voice. It, it obviously seemed towards the end of the McDaniels era there that the players just were not in tune with him. Terrible roster management as well by him and the GM getting rid of you know Carr and the whole Garoppolo situation, um, Josh Jacobs' contract situation. I, I just think that they really mishandled that team. Uh, let's hope that there is a little bit more consistency and vision with Pierce at the helm, um, you know, while he builds out his staff and, and everything, I do think that for the Raiders' sake, you know, this is a, a win-win. You're, you're working with a guy that that is very fond of the brand that you have with the Raiders. Um, understands what it means to not only it stands for himself. Um, now we've got to make sure that these players that advocated for him um, hold up their end of the bargain. Right, this is now their turn to pay it forward. So let's hope that that comes through on their end. But you couldn't—I I think if you're Mark Davis, you could not go into the off season hiring a whole new staff, hiring a whole new front office, and continue to pay these coaches that just were not getting through to your players. It seems that they have that now. We'll see what next year, what what, what comes with it next year when there's expectations, um, and obviously the the spotlight on you that it's your full time gig. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, I think that he'll be able to succeed out there. But at the end, you're still in a division with uh, Mahomes, who potentially could be seeing Harbaugh 
as a coach in L.A., so it's not going to get any easier for the Raiders to be a contender each and every year. You know, they're going to need a lot to go their way in order to be successful from that end. I was going to say, um, that leads me to Bill Belichick still out there, having had two interviews with the Falcons, and Jim Harbaugh still out there, having also interviewed with the Falcons. Where does this lead us? And you still have Mike Vrabel out there. Um, you know, yeah. We're talking about three coaches that are probably at the top end of their of their sport from individuals that you would want there. All profile very similarly, too. They all have a very similar type of philosophy um, when it comes to how they want to build their teams and how they want to play football. You know, very much up front, they want to have good offensive and defensive lines. They want to run the ball. They want to be conscious of how the game script is going for them. So all three of them present with very similar type of coaching styles. I think the thing that you have to look at is of the available jobs that are out there, uh, Seattle, L.A., Tennessee, Atlanta, Carolina, none of those teams really profile to that type of team. Um, There would need to be massive overhaul on certain rosters in order to kind of meet their expectations. I think, you know, we're having this today. There's still a lot that's going on. I expect that there's going to be some interviews uh, on, on staff that are still playing today and, and next week that are going to be coming down. But I, I think, you know, the noise that we've heard is, you know, Belichick to Atlanta, even though they've had two interviews with him, it doesn't look like they're confident to pull the trigger just yet with more interviews coming with other individual, individuals this week. Brickville is starting to pick up some steam as well. Um, and Harbaugh, I don't think Harbaugh's in any sort of rush either. You know, he has a job. It's whether or not he wants to continue doing that uh, or move on to the NFL. Um, I mean, I think L.A. makes the most sense for him, but I think the bigger story from the coaching side is a lot of the jobs that didn't open up, like Chicago, like Philadelphia, like Dallas – those those situations would fit a lot of the availability of the coaches that are out there today. Um, they've decided to stay in-house and, and see where those coaching staffs bring them. But I do think if I'm looking at it from a you know, high-level view, I think, I think Harbaugh goes to L.A., Rabel either gets the Atlanta or uh, Seattle job, and Belichick, I, you know, there might be a scenario where Belichick doesn't get a job at all. Um, and maybe sit this cycle out and, and wait and see what happens next year or looks to maybe take a different type of role moving forward. But I do anticipate Belichick coaching. I just don't know if any of the teams this year might be the best fit for him given what's available. I am I am with you on that. And uh, also keep in mind when we start looking at coordinator jobs and all that stuff, which could take us a whole podcast, which we won't, Joe Brady. Uh, what he has done to help Josh Allen in this run um, with the Bills, he is going to be a popular interview candidate um, uh, among many interview ca- I'm sorry, uh, among many uh, 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 coordinators out there. He's going to be one popular guy. Yeah, if you're Buffalo, what you should do is elevate him automatically to the OC position. That way, he yeah. can get interview requests. 
uh, because any request that comes through, he's going to be able to take because he's still listed probably as the quarterback's coach or, or whatever. Uh, but if it's a lateral move, you know, they need to ask permission and they can easily block that. So if Buffalo wins today, you know, they could easily just say he's our OC. Uh, I don't think there's any harm in that. That way you prevent him from leaving. Um, but I, I think that he's going to end up getting that job in Buffalo anyway. Um, I think McDermott's not one to really turn over his staff too much. You look at like the coordinators that have left that organization since he's been in charge, and it's really been for promotion. It's not been for lateral moves. You know, Dave all left, Frazier retired. Uh, he did get rid of Dorsey, but that's really been the only type of move that he's made where he's like pulled the trigger to get rid of somebody. Um, I think they value the continuity that they have in that building. So I would not be surprised if Brady is the full-time OC in Buffalo when the season comes to an end. That way, he doesn't have to, you know, doesn't have that opportunity to leave for something else. Good point there. All right, let's move to the games, Danny. We start with the blowout, or or, or what turned into the blowout um, with the Ravens and Texans. I just think that ultimately Lamar Jackson and company were too much. And that the Texans team, you know, great story. You're probably a year early, maybe. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I I went into this game hoping that the Texans could make it somewhat competitive. And they were doing that in the first half. They were able to really buckle down and make some plays. I think the thing that really shot them in the foot was that when they did have drives that were able to sort of threaten the Ravens, they kept on shooting themselves in the foot with penalties. You know, in that first half, I think they had a drive where they were just, like, yo-yoing between, like, the, the 35 and the 45-yard line of the Ravens, back and forth, like, with false starts and, and everything. And they weren't able to really make things happen for them on that end. They missed a field goal that would have given them a lead going to half. Um, but the thing that I think the Texans probably would look at and, and want to do over again is is the way they played some defense in, the, in that game. Uh, they blitzed way more than they did throughout the regular season. I think they were uh, one of the least blitzing teams in the NFL. Yeah. And yesterday they blitzed Lamar like 60, 60% of the time. Yeah. And that allowed Lamar to really get his run game going, um, you know, there wasn't a lot that was done by Baltimore on the ground other than what Lamar did. Um, you know, overall, they ran for 229 yards as a team, but 100 of those were Lamar's yards. So they were able to create a lot of, of those extra plays for themselves based off of Lamar's athleticism, and I think the blitzing sort of played into that. Um, you know, if you're also uh, Houston, you're hoping for some sort of turnovers, um, or, you know, short fields, and they weren't able to, to get any of that, and they were also unable to run the ball on their end. I think you hit it, you know, they're about a year early. Uh, not having a guy like Tank Dell as a secondary option, I think really kind of came came home in this game. Uh, they were unable to really create much separation in the past game. A lot of it was a dink and dunk type system. DJ was kind of running a little bit for his life. But if you're a Houston, you got to look at this game and say, you know, we are way ahead of schedule. We need to shore up some pieces on our team here. We have the quarterback. We have the playmakers. 
now let's let's move forward. Um, I, I think they're going to be a tough team moving forward as long as they have C.J. Stroud. So I don't think that they're in any sort of situation where they have to relook at anything on there. And they just got to get a little bit stronger and deeper in certain spots. And if you're Baltimore, you got to come away from this win. I know you put up 34 points, but it wasn't always necessarily the best uh, football that they were playing there. Cold day. Uh, I think there's areas for improvement for them. I think with Mark Andrews coming back next week, they're going to be a little bit more dynamic. I think the weather will be also, you know, we're in this cycle. Uh, this week and last week where we just had some terrible weather. I do anticipate Baltimore having full, their full complement of, of playmakers next week, and whomever is going into Baltimore next week is going to have a really, really tough time against this Baltimore defense who's just been all over the field. Their linebackers are phenomenal. Their secondary is aggressive. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who they match up with. But this Baltimore team right now with the way Lamar is playing and the way they're able to control the game, it's going to be really tough for anybody that's out there that they're playing against. I just happened to look at the 10-day forecast for Baltimore, and, and these long-range forecasts are not, you know, please don't take this as Godspell or anything. Um, 48 degrees in showers. The day before is 55. The day before is 66. And, you know, the Monday after is 46, 47, clearly moving into a way, way warmer pattern than the 24 feeling like 11 or whatever it was yesterday. Yeah, I think for the the East Coast, we're going to see that change on Monday. So any game in Baltimore next week should be relatively good conditions. I don't anticipate us having this sort of frostbite action out there that we've yes. had the last week and a half. I think this is about about the end of that. So uh, I, I think it's going to be welcome, especially if you're, you're Buffalo and Kansas City. You guys, they've been dealing with such crap weather the last week and a half. They'll probably enjoy a 50-degree day in Baltimore if that's where they're going. With with one last game today, which we will get to. Niners, Packers, you, uh, you and I were talking about this uh, before we press record. There, there are some Packer fans that don't like clock management at the end of the uh, fourth quarter there. But look, you had the chances. You had all the red zone opportunities in the first half that, that you failed to convert. You had the missed field goal with, with the rookie kicker, who was the worst kicker in terms of field goals and extra points all year. Danny, it just felt like it was inevitable that if you gave San Francisco enough chances, even without Debo Samuel, you were going to let them do their thing. And unfortunately for Packer fans, that's what happened. Yeah, I thought that Green Bay from the start was ready for this game. I think that people severely underestimated what was going to be happening in this game. A lot of pundits were on San Fran to blow them out. Uh, Historically, this matchup between Shanahan and LaFleur has gone the way of San Francisco and usually in dominating fashion. And from the get-go, I was looking at that Green Bay team, and I was like, this is going to be a game. Uh, They're going to be tough. Uh, They were moving the ball very well to start the game. They played them tough. They got the the block kick at the end of the first half to keep them within, you know, one point, not to make that game a little bit more stretched out. Third quarter, they came out, and they were aggressive, uh, and they were really taking it to San Fran. I think it really is as simple as they lost the game on that kick. And I was watching it. I watched a lot of Green Bay games this year. 
their kicker stunk. He lost them a bunch of games, and not just this one. I, I believe there was that Raiders game. He missed a couple of field goals, uh, you know, for them. You know, he's not been good, and they came home. Uh, and you know, these these op- these things don't usually go away either. Um, you know, these special teams miscues are usually how teams fall in the playoffs. And it, as an underdog of ten plus points, you really need every facet of your game to be there. Their offense was there, their defense was there, the special teams was not. Uh, as for the end of the game, I, I thought LaFleur played it perfectly. Um, he, he valued the timeouts over the time on the clock, knowing that you only need three points. Again, with like one of the worst field goal kickers in the league, but they're hoping that you get another shot there with your, with your field goal team. And the only mistake was that Love didn't play the situation correctly. Uh, they get a good play to start off the drive. Uh, you know, they're at their 35-yard line. I believe like 50 plus seconds left. Two timeouts, and that interception that Love threw was just a boneheaded play. That's a throw that you make when you have no timeouts and it's a fourth down, not when it's second down, and you have the opportunity to still continue to move the ball down the field. If you look at the replay. You know, he had options other than what he did. He could have beat Bosa to the sideline, I think, for some extra yards if he really committed to it. He could have just thrown the ball away, lived to see another down. Except instead, he throws the ball in the middle of the field. And, and to be honest, when you look at the replay, it's not. if it wasn't Greenlaw that was picking it off, it was somebody else. There was no window there. It wasn't like the guy was wide open behind Greenlaw. There was no window there for him to make that throw. I think that comes with experience and with time. Uh, Love has been phenomenal for them this year. You just got to understand the situation there. Uh, and I think that they're going to, you know, obviously teach that and preach that in the offseason and understanding the situation. But they had they had it basically there for them. Uh, just that throw was just not necessary given the time and the, the situation. They could have, you know, Love could have just thrown it away. You know, they, they had plenty of time. Plenty of chances, I think, after that play, if they would have gone that direction to, to try to get into scoring range. Love just thought he needed it all on that play, and he just did not. Dan Flecker with us here on Teeing Up. So that brings us to today and these two games. Um, Tampa-Detroit. I've got people all over the place on this. Tampa's in this thing. Baker Mayfield's in this thing. This is going to be a, 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 a Lions blowout. This thing's going to be close. I have no idea what to think about this game. I'm with you. Um, Detroit's kind of been helter-skelter all year. Uh, they, their offense is definitely there. Their defense can at times be a little bit fraudulent. Uh, they didn't step up in that Rams game and, and force a lot of field goals. I think this game really comes down to Baker Mayfield. Now, if they're able to go punch for punch with Detroit early, much like the Rams did, they should be in this game. I think defensively, Tampa Bay can cause some problems for golf with their blitzes. And if they're able to keep that run game in check a little bit, they should be able to stay within this game. Uh, There's plenty of big play opportunity for Tampa with the receivers that they have. You just have to make sure that if you're Baker, you're not forcing plays and putting your team in a situation where Detroit's racking up extra possessions for no reason. I do think that one of the things that Detroit has to has to figure out is are they going to come after Baker and leave their corners on an island against Evans and Godwin, or are they gonna play and let you know, play deep and let 
Baker decipher what it is that they're going to be doing. Because Tampa's run game isn't strong, so there's a chance that this game could become very much one-dimensional for Tampa. If they're able to keep things a little bit more level, there's no reason why Tampa can't stay in this game. But I do wonder if Detroit is going to take that approach and say, let's let's have you guys run the ball. Let's play those two high safety looks. And, you know, those are usually run running situations. Let's see if you're committed to, to running the ball in this game. And we'll take our chances on the outside if you, got, if you want to force it. But the way that, that Detroit's been playing, you know, offensively, you've you got to think that they're able to move the ball at least more than what we saw last week from Philadelphia against this Tampa team. But I just don't know if I trust Baker Mayfield. In an environment where the fans are going to be hungry, the team's going to be hungry, they, they know what's at stake for themselves. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough, tough game. But, you know, we saw Detroit multiple times this season in games where they get out the big leads or they play very fast early on and they kind of get figured out. And then from there, they kind of let the team back into it because their defense isn't as strong. So we'll see how that plays out. I do think Detroit's the better team. I do think they get the win today, but I would not, you know, I think it's going to be within the point spread that's, that's been out there. We'll see if, if Tampa can make some big plays to maybe separate themselves, but I do think Detroit's going to be able to pull this one off. Finally, uh, Buffalo, Kansas City, and here's where I'm at. If you can get Josh Allen, and that correct, it'll be cold, but it won't be, it'll be, it'll be chilly, but not horribly cold. It'll not be snowing. No hypothermia risks. <laughs> so it'll probably feel great for Kansas, for, uh, uh, Kansas City. If you can... Whoever gets up first, I think, has a real advantage here. And whoever can take that crowd out of the game first has a real advantage here. If Buffalo can get up early and keep that crowd in the game, big advantage. Because they'll be cold no matter what. I mean, I'll still be in the 20s. Um, If you are Kansas City, you've got to be aggressive. You have to, whether it's Rice, whether it's Kelsey, whether it's Pacheco, whoever it is. Get somebody in the game besides Mahomes' legs as a yard gainer. And you've really got to keep that going because if you don't get that going, um, you could be in for one long game on a Bills team that is seemingly trending way positive very quickly before our eyes. Yeah, I, I think I've said it multiple times on this show. I'm sticking with Buffalo. I'm not jumping off this bandwagon. I'm going to ride with them until the very end. This is a unique situation. We haven't seen this before. We have no Davis to suggest anything of what the Chiefs are capable of in this type of spot. They're on the road for the first time ever with Mahomes in a playoff game. And they're going up against a team that plays them relatively tough and if not has been the better team against them for the majority of their matchups that they've had. The thing that Buffalo needs to be worried about is their their overall defensive structure right now. Is You're going to have a lot of players in situations that have not been in those situations this year, given the way that their injuries have shaken up. But I look at this Kansas City team, and, and I'm not impressed with what they do offensively. Even last week, they won that game. But I didn't come away from it thinking they're fixed. I didn't come away from it thinking that they look better than they have this year. 
they were up against a Miami team that was decimated defensively. I mean, the second that ball snapped last week, you knew Miami wasn't going to be in that game. They just did not look like they could handle it. The Chiefs were always the, the taking that game. But now you're going up against the Buffalo team that I think is, one, not afraid of you. Allen is not going to let you know, Mahomes scare him on the other side. If anything, I think Mahomes, uh, Allen has been, you know, people might take this the wrong way. Allen's been the better quarterback this year. Let's just, you know, be straight about that. He's been able to do more with less, and Mahomes has, has not. You know, he has not been able to elevate, at this point in time, his, his receiving core. And I think if you're Buffalo defensively, you got to say, let's come after him. Let's continue to come after him. Let's make him make off-schedule throws. Let's see if these receivers can make the plays that they need to make. We'll live with him scrambling if it means that he's not able to continue drives. You know, I, I think that's the approach that you're going to take. And McDermott's done well against him. Uh, you know, these games are usually rock fights, and McDermott's defense is usually able to be put in spots. You know, there are moments when they make boneheaded plays on defense that allow Kansas City to gain momentum, but... I think at home, things will be a little bit different. And then on the other side of the ball, if you're Buffalo, you got to be consistent. You got to be able to be. You got to be able to both run the ball and pass the ball, and then use Allen in situations where it's necessary. I think a heavy dose of Allen in the run game could be seen very, very early on. Kind of soften up that run defense a little bit. Look for James Cook out of the backfield. They use that a lot in the first matchup against them. And I think that that will then open up the middle of the field with Kincaid and Diggs. You know, you're out some offensive weapons too. I don't think Gabe Davis is playing in this game. So you do need some people to step up here. But I think overall the, the playmaking that we've seen from Allen will show up here today. I think he's going to run the ball 10 to 15 times on designed runs, look for Cook out of the backfield to try to get some mismatches on those linebackers. And from there, you're able to hit the, the middle of the field with, with your tight ends. Look for those types of situations to pop up for Buffalo on offense. I, I, I'm riding with Buffalo. I'm not, you know, I, I know it's really tough to go against Mahomes, especially as a dog, but I am, I've picked Buffalo. They're the team I'm going to ride with, and that's who I think is going to win this game. I think they're going to Baltimore next week. One other factor, they are on a short week. Yeah, short week. Yeah. It is, I think, I, I think it is what it is. You know, it's not their fault. It's a short week. Unfortunately, the weather last week did not yeah. apply. Um, but I think in, it's a short week against a team that you are familiar with. So I do think that that does also play um, an advantage for Buffalo. They, they, they understand what Kansas City is. They understand who they're playing against. It's not the first time they've gone up against them. The only difference is this time they're at home. So I do anticipate... A really good performance from Buffalo in this one. I just think that this, you know, if Kansas City is able to win this game, it's going to be on multiple turnovers that are committed by Buffalo. I don't think Kansas City is going to go drive for drive with Buffalo and pull away that way. I think it's going to have to be based off of turnovers or special teams plays, and, and hopefully Buffalo is able to limit those. But I do think this is going to be a very tightly contested game. I just I'm going to trust that Buffalo right now and the way that they're, they've been playing the last eight weeks of the season, 
is in a spot here where they can take advantage of some of the things they've been doing. And I think Kansas City's lack of playmakers will eventually catch up with them. Whether it's this week or next week, I just don't think this is a Super Bowl caliber, caliber team, even with Mahomes as a quarterback. Danny Flecka, this could be a fun day ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're. I'm hoping for a Buffalo-Baltimore game. I'm hoping for a Detroit-San Francisco game. You know, it'd be nice to see some, you know, some new teams have the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, we haven't seen Baltimore. I don't think Baltimore's had a home AFC championship game in years. Uh, yeah. While and obviously we know Detroit hasn't been to this spot in 30 plus years. You know, I'm rooting for some parity here. I mean, you know, Mahomes and them, they've been here a lot. You know, Buffalo's had this opportunity a lot, but they haven't been able to get over the hump. I think this is the year where we see the parity show up and we're going to see some new types of matchups, and I, I really do hope that we get that. But again, you're asking that the best quarterback in the league has a down game, which is really hard, but I just don't see it with that team this year. I just have not been on them. I'm not going to stray. From what it is, I've been I've been seeing. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to go out there and play the game, and we'll see what happens. Indeed, Dan Flecker, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, man. Have a good one. You got it, and enjoy your football Sunday, everybody.